What's this? A second podcast? <gasps> the sequel? Hopefully, uh, hopefully it will be a uh, more of a Godfather 2 than a... Oh, let's hope, yeah. Uh, so, uh, good day, good evening, good, good afternoon. Morning. Uh, second lunch, second breakfast, all of that. Absolutely, wherever you are in the world. Yes. Uh, welcome to the second Monkey See monkey review podcast this is this is exciting isn't it we're doing it everyone i know (laughs) and and not only are we doing it we're also available on apple podcasts we are so you might be listening to it on apple podcast right now as you can tell we are unreasonably excited about this fact yes we are and so opposite me emanating directly from his very own cave of wonders <laughs> we have uh, we have our answer to the genie in the lamp it's Ooh. mr christopher commander let's give him a rub and see what movie magic pops out <laughs> i immediately don't like that I immediately okay. disclaimer don't rub chris with how yeah, please don't. express permission yes consent is a big thing with genies these days um and across from me is msl mars uh now i have to think of one um knock off russell crow in the most positive sense possible i'm I'm wondering now whether the people listening to this introduction are not entertained ah well we'll see (laughs) (laughs) so welcome back uh the idea of the monkey see monkey review podcast is uh, it's two blokes sat opposite each other uh in a magnificent surroundings uh, across from each other on a ouija board yes we are Uh, that genuinely is true to just talk about movies because yes. we like movies and we hope that uh, you do too and if you don't like movies we hope you like us uh, enough to keep listening yes so what are we starting off with today Scott? we're gonna have a little bit of a chat about let's have a chat a chat about our film fortnight and uh, since we last sat down opposite each other and had a little uh, little chinwag what's been going on in the world of movies and uh, what have we seen I think probably the most one of the most interesting places to start would be uh, a couple of weeks ago on the night of release. I managed to get to see a brand new version of The Invisible Man, mm. starring The Handmaid's Tales, Elizabeth Moss. The genesis of the you know, the existence of this new version, The Invisible Man, stems back about three years mm. to uh cast the, your minds back yes, three years to uh do you remember the dark universe oh does anyone remember that i swept under the carpet the mcu came in and s- destroyed that <laughs> idea um actually, yeah I, I actually i actually think the quality of the mummy probably destroyed that month i wasn't MCU. gonna say that that was I, those are yeah. your words not mine <laughs> i okay so to, to, to bring it back to some semblance of order. Mm. Uh, order so order. I, I, a few years ago, Universal were pinning the hopes of creating a universe. They had a, they had a slate of movies, including... Uh, so The Mummy was the first. Mm-hmm. Well, no, technically Mummy was the second. What as They the had a, a soft launch with Luke Evans in Dracula Untold. Oh, that counted. That counted, apparently. Oh. And hmm. and then they were looking at uh, The Wolfman, mm-hmm. which I believe was Javier Bardem. And they were going to do a Frankenstein? Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. With Angelina Jolie. Um, oh. With Russell Crowe. Hey. Uh, aptly enough, linking it in. <laughs> it's almost like we planned it. Hmm. Um, being kind of the glue that linked it all together as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Wow. And they were also planning, I think the next off the slate was going to be Johnny Depp in The Invisible Man. However, although not a flop, uh, the Tom Cruise Mummy film 
was not certainly not a critical success at all, mm-hmm. and I think the box office takings were a disappointment and and for fans too. Yeah, a... <laughs> and so with this, the as as Chris said, the the Dark Universe was quietly shelved mm, and under the carpet. One by one, the projects were put into turnaround and, and the actors went on to other things indeed uh, but universal still had a desire to create properties based upon the the universal monsters the, the famous ones approached jason blum uh blumhouse productions, productions. um so, so we'll take a gamble on literally anything indeed and with with some great success with some great success yeah i mean probably most notably i would say get out which yes. is an absolutely brilliant film. Just as a side point, absolutely fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Please do. Good film. Yes. And so, having worked with Lee Wanell on Upgrade mm-hmm. and uh, with his involvement with the paranormal activity, knowing his horror chops as well, he uh, he approached Lee Wanell and they've crafted something a lot different to probably where the dark universe was heading which were large-scale horror spectaculars that were going to pack out multiplexes what they've gone back to is a very very low budget Mm -hmm. actually really efficiently budgeted film that relies more on the tension and the the craft and both of which i have to say i was i was more than pleasantly surprised it is a it's a really entertaining film because that can go one of two ways, can't it? it? If you're if you're doing a big budget thing like that, you ex- yeah. you have a, a certain expectation Absolutely. while going into the cinemas, and especially Bloomhouse Bloomhouse that do sort of less big films or take risks on on less money. Yeah, it's an inter- it's an interesting choice for Universal to definitely try and definitely. start this universe off again. Um, and I think I think it's a, it was a success. I, I think Elizabeth Moss is brilliant in it. Mm. She's really really good. So just to quickly summarise the story, her character breaks herself free from a, an abusive relationship and is told very shortly after that her husband has committed suicide. But strange things start happening and she becomes progressively more convinced that actually him being an expert in the field of optics has found some way to make himself invisible that's interesting yes because in the way that you've said i would assume that they would kind of go down the she's being haunted route first yeah but she has that that idea of oh maybe he's come up with a way there's a there's a line very early in the film where she says i could be i I will find you i could be stood there and there's no way that you would know i was even there Oh, I see. Very metaphorical. And, yes, and it's so. What they do, it's really effective because empty space in the film is far more threatening than than you might expect because you are never entirely sure whether he is in the room or whether he's oh. there. If he's going to turn up, and it just gives that little grain of tension all the way through it that she he could not be in the room and she is convinced that he is there. And vice versa. And vice versa. Do you think it, it plants those seeds in your mind enough that if you watched it a second time, 
Yeah. Do you think there'd be scenes that you'd be convinced that he's in that he isn't in, or do they make it clear the ones that he is in? No, there there are moments where that where you know that he's there, mm. but it's just that mystery. Mm. And there's there that she portrays an unraveling psyche as well. Yeah, really. she does that very well. She does, and <laughs> I, I, it's a really great central performance. Because I have to admit the whilst watching the trailers, the trailers mm. are very generic yes. in terms of this. And I yeah. didn't get that sort of story from what the trailers portray. No. I think that's maybe a, a slight failing in in the sense of the, the promotion. I'm not going to convince you it's it's the finest horror movie ever made. There are holes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of moments of, sort of ropey CGI towards the end. But, you know, it, it's, it's a really efficiently made horror. And it's perfect Friday night entertainment. Brilliant. It's, Get yourself engaged and just switch off and enjoy it. And it's it's brilliantly tense all the way through and fairly satisfying by the end. It's um, what more could you want? It's 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 well worth watching. I, I think if uh, if you're looking for a, a, a movie by the time people get to see this now, more than likely it will be on DVD or streaming. So it's the perfect film to turn the lights off, grab a bottle of wine, and just <laughs> enjoy it. It was uh, it was just a good bit of roller coaster entertainment fantastic and i think of the other films that i've seen recently the other one i quite like to talk about and again it's it's another one that given current world events at the moment yes. might be something that people sadly will miss at the cinema but i imagine it will be again a success when it comes out on dvd and streaming is the brand new pixar uh it's onward oh onward yes yeah. uh, so it's their first sort of proper foray into fantasy the premise is a, is basically a road trip film. It's it's a it's a fantasy road trip. Hmm. So the the premise is that uh, is it two brothers? A, it's two brothers. Two brothers in a fantasy world, and it's Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Indeed, it is that has lost its love of magic, or it's lost the appeal of magic, and technology has taken over. Mm. And oh. what a lovely metaphor for um, the real world. So the the central premise is that uh, they are two brothers whose father passed away when Tom Holland's Ian was a baby, so he has no recollection of him. And when the Chris Pratt, who's the older brother, Barley, was very, very young. And they get an opportunity on Ian's 16th birthday uh, with a magic spell to bring the father back for one day so he could spend time to see the men that his boys had become spell doesn't work properly and they have to head out on a quest yes love a good quest indeed uh to to attempt to retrieve the gem that will help them recreate the magic spell and bring the rest of their father back for them to be able to spend that time together i see it's a lovely film it given pixar's pedigree is probably no surprise to say the animation is stunning it's beautiful so I went to see this with my little girl. We were talking about it on the way out, and she remarked how beautiful it was. And I, and I said, mm. "Back in 1995, when we first saw Toy Story, oh. it was it was such a revelation at the time." But you compare Toy Story's animation now, and it does look rather more basic. It still looks great, and I know what you mean. Though sometimes I recently rewatched it because it is my favorite of all time films. Yes. And you do, you get the Uncanny Valley uh, weird lip movement stuff going on when you're watching it. You go, yeah. oh yeah, 
But it was the first it completely computer-generated film, and it uh, still still holds up. But yes, they have come an immense distance. Yeah, uh, the advances are just incredible, and it's there are moments in it that are almost photoreal, and it's 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 a beautiful film, something that speaks to me, and I think this will probably come up in in future podcasts. Anything that has relationships between fathers and children automatically has a hotline to my tear ducts mm. and there were moments throughout the film that i could feel the emotion well and it's it's another upper middle level pixar it's not at the level of some of the real greats but as a as a piece of family entertainment it's beautifully made beautifully animated there's some great fun to be had with it. It's a good diversion and it's a good little fantasy. So again, another one that I would recommend. So I think that's probably going to be maybe the last film I see at the cinema for a little while. Until the... Yeah, until... Which we should talk about. It's in we current to... events. Yeah. We'll talk about current events for a little yeah. bit. I'm painfully aware that there are more important things to be worried about uh, we're talking of course about the coronavirus uh, in the world but we're a film podcast so and it is affecting the world of film it's, drastically it, right it, now it productions are halting on practically everything yes tv shows films some companies are worried that you know release dates are being postponed indeed the first one that i was aware of that was really going to hit revenue base was was the next bond film indeed and just talking about how much money they would lose by postponing it even a few months yeah. was what it was at first i don't know what it is up to now are no. we in november what are we up to now so i so yes it'll be released in november Oof. then consequently you have uh, fast and furious 9 following suit and that's not going to land until april 2021 which is quite an unexpected one and then peter rabbit 2 was also postponed a quiet place 2 on the eve of its release fantastic been, beasts won't start production indeed uh, the new marvel shang chi that's, that's uh, right that's also oh, basically all the marvel tv shows as well yeah so there's it's the right thing to do it's it feels like a fad to say, like, oh, my God, this celebrity, you know, is quarantined. But yes, because they're humans. Productions have to stop. You yeah. can't you can't go through stuff like that. No. And and then you get into the, the just revenue based side on the consumer level. Yeah, because a lot of theaters and cinemas are closing as well. That that hits the art world that hits um, stage and cinema. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a rough time. It is for I, I people think... in the arts at the moment. It's and everywhere. Right? Yeah. But, oh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And I, I made quite a, a flippant remark when Bond was the first to be postponed because it was very early on. It was almost like they could see it coming that mm. it was financially orientated. And I, you know, I it was a flippant remark. But stepping back from that, you've got the safety of cinema goers. Yes. You are also talking about something that is a lot of group of people's livelihoods. And if you're putting something into a marketplace where there is no customers, there is no market. Yeah, from a, from the production side. From a production yeah. side. First, first of all, all that money that has been pumped into that is is going into a vacuum, and and people that want to see it aren't able to see it. They are they are taking a very educated guess gamble on when the film's going to come out yeah. and what the revenue back will be so yeah. that they are taking a gamble on we're putting this much money especially because we're talking about bond because yeah. they are difficult made movies and with a lot of money put in them 
to not know exactly when a film's going to come out, that's that's box office revenue that goes into the production. Yeah. So, and as John Krasinski said when he made the decision to pull Quiet Place Part Two, that he wants everybody to be able to share this at the same time. I mean, just in the past week, how it's escalated in this country. I don't think any of us really expected it to escalate in that way. No. So, so consequently, as a result, the marketplace is is it's being barren. strangled at the moment. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, and additionally, there will be new guidance coming out all the time as to people gathering in, in public places. Indeed, uh, it's an interesting time. But you know, as we move forward with the podcast, we will. We will be in quarantined areas, not touching each other. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Did we touch each other before? I, I No comment, Your Honour. Um, uh, we had to yeah. touch on it because that is current events Absolutely. as of right now. Yes, Guidance permitting, I may, in time for the next podcast, whenever that may be, be able to bring you the report on the true history of the Kelly Gang, which Ooh, is the last yes. film that is kind of earmarked to watch. Uh, so I'm hoping that I will get to see this within the next 48 hours. Woot! If not, then then not. <laughs> then then so be it. And um, but we, but we will talk about other things. Do yeah, not worry. We're not uh, disappearing. Absolutely. Uh, but as of the rest of you, you won't be able to see the films that we want to see either. <laughs> no. But speaking of films that they might want to see, even though they didn't really want to see them in the first place. <laughs> Is that a tenuous link? That's a tenuous link. Do we redo that link? No, I like it. We're keeping it. Okay, so we are going to move swiftly on to In Defence Of. Woot! For the first time, we're doing a joint In Defence Of. We are. This is quite exciting. Chris came up with a suggestion for a film that, is it fair to say, you're not a huge fan of? Yes, I think that's, that's a fair assumption. But I'm not a fan of it. On the reason why we kind of disagree and why we thought this would be a good discussion for you guys to hear. Absolutely. So the film I want to talk about today is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that came out in 2005 with the likes of Sam Rockwell, Moss Def, Zoe Deschanel, Martin Freeman and Bill Nighy and, and all of the rest of them. What's tough about this is I have a an ultimate love for Douglas Adams' writing uh, of the original uh, radio broadcast uh, and then subsequently the books that followed. This film, for me, the humour of Douglas Adams is lost. Now, I'm not saying this has anything to do with the fact that it was basically an American production with English people in it. It was directed by an Englishman, Garth Jennings, and in interviews, he seems to really understand that dry humour, but it doesn't quite translate to the film. And they do... Plot elements that make no sense, that are some of them are reported to have been written as an idea by Douglas Adams and then slotted into the film. But writing an idea coming from the creator doesn't mean it works in a narrative sense. Mm. It means they've come up with an idea and you've shoehorned it in and tried to justify it by saying, well, the creator came up with this, so it has to be good. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in the context of the film. So let me, let me pull apart some stuff which... Um, Bugs me. <laughs> well, actually, let's talk about a couple positives first. Yeah, because um, it is in defense of. <laughs> it is in defense of. I'm in defense of my anger at the film. How about that? <laughs> I love Stephen Fry in almost anything that he does, and he does the voice of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, to perfection. It's wonderful to listen to, and you can imagine, and the 
the cartoony visualization of what's going on in the book is wonderful and it harks back to the original TV show when they were all line drawings and, and done by hand, which is just incredible. Visually, it's a lovely film as well. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely made film. Some of the design elements I absolutely, absolutely adore. The book itself is something that you want to own. It's something you look at and you go, oh, that would be fun to have at home. I, I'd like that. The design of the Vogons are something to love. And they were inspired by sort of old cartoons of politicians. And I thought mm. that fits so well. They were made by the Jim Henson Puppeteering uh, the workshop. Corporation Workshop. And they are stunning to watch. Yeah. But then it gets into weird territory of, of like you take the Vogon poetry, which is something that is supposed to terrify them. And you sort of see Arthur Dent in it being slightly affected, but not yeah. to the point that he's his eardrums are going to burst. And we know that it's one of the worst things to hear in the universe. Now, that being said, Sam Rockwell, to me, was Zaphod Beeblebrox. He was just brilliant. And they took all the brilliant stuff of him that I love. And then they, halfway through the film, literally cut that out of him. And he becomes this husk of a character. They do so much right. And then they take all the right stuff and they throw it away. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like the first half of that film, it's on the right track. And then they divert and do different subplots, which are not really mentioned in the books or or the audio drama. Go, talk. I don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) So uh, converse to that. And there are a lot of the things that Chris says that I actually... I actually can understand and I can see. I I think going back to the Vogon's point... I I really enjoyed their whole character. I thought you know, Richard Griffiths and the League of Gentlemen as the Vogons were fantastic. I think right across the cast, and I think there's there's one there's one well, mention that you've not made. I'm, I don't want to. Who are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Marvin the Paranoid Android. Ah, oh, yes, of course, of course, um, absolutely. Voiced by Alan Rickman. Bodied by Warwick Davis. <laughs> and what a creation. Consistently throughout the film. Just just loved loved the character. Loved the, the interaction. Loved Rickman's performance. It was just so good. And for me, because... And this is where we differ slightly. Yes. Is that I don't have any investment in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Totally fair. I can appreciate a fan's perspective and we will talk a bit more about Mm. this in a little while because I think this takes us off in some really interesting directions but as somebody that didn't necessarily kind of have that investment in the property there is so much to love about it and it's those little quirks it's those little idiosyncrasies of the film the so long and thanks for all the fish song it's so catchy really so catchy brilliant and that does hark back to the original source material and i love that i do love it's a it's i'm sorry it's a catchy song yeah and a little flourishes like like the the bill bailey whale again is just (laughs) yeah such a lovely moment yeah and i don't know if we'll be friends with me i've got to (laughs) i've got to i've got to echo what chris has said and this is because i'm a massive sam rockwell fan that Mm. and i i i totally appreciate his point of view on this i think to the point that he loses the second head he's fantastic and absolutely perfect and i thought that was an ingenious i mean it's weird because i was of two minds 
ironically. Two minds about it. Guess what I did there? I was very excited when I heard the film was coming out of how they were going to do the two heads. Because famously in in the 80s TV show, it's... A bit wonk. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. And I was I was curious of how they were going to do it on a big budget level. Yeah. I thought it was clever that they, they mm. hid it. I thought that was a clever way around it. But then I was also kind of disappointed that yeah. he didn't have another head that you could see all the time. Yeah. Um, but Sam Rockwell, uh, uh, yeah. He yeah. was he was Zayfard in my head and it was great. That's it. I found the, the, the whole Humakavula... It's d- an interesting side path. I... I that's kind of the weakest part of the film for me, I think. Yes. Um, I found it genuinely entertaining. I've probably seen this film half a dozen times. It's just a really easy watch. And again, I going back to not really fully knowing and appreciate, but I really like Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent. I think, I think he's got that sort of everyman likability, and I think you know, in in the right roles, I think he is very, he's very, very watchable. So I. While I appreciate that there might be things within a film such as this that that fans you know appreciate not mm-hmm. not appreciate that they I mean there are things quite... that we appreciate oh, yeah, in the film but and I think this is this is an inherent issue that film is quite a limiting medium. I love film, but I fully appreciate that film only has a limited amount of time to to tell its story. Mm-hmm. And then get out of there before you get bored. Right. The amount of four-hour films that are, <laughs> you know, accurate adaptations of a of a novel mm-hmm. are incredibly rare, and yes. rightly so, because people yes. people don't have that sort of time to or invest, attention span or attention days. span. Mm-hmm. So, consequently, what you find is that filmmakers have to make these creative choices have to make these compromises that they're trying to make the best film possible and probably within a studio system that is micromanaging and controlling absolutely what, what yeah. comes out of there. pushing and shoving i like to think of those uh you know you go to uh like carnivals and yeah. you go through the it's always it's always the creepy clown maze isn't it yeah. it's always that and you're in those you're tightly squeezed in between uh, the sort of bumpery things. Yeah. I imagine that's what it's like making a big budget film. Yeah. You've got this one path, and if you're dedicated and you love, especially source material in terms yeah. of adaptations, and trying to get to the end of that with something that you love and and want to be proud of, it's got to be it's got to be difficult with a studio. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a point that I'm starting to get to with film. And I'm not saying that I've never been irritated by creative choices with properties that i and uh, you know texts or anything else that i've i've been a particular fan of and then you know, been slightly disappointed by the result of it but i'm becoming more accepting of it that it's not necessarily the film that i expected mm. but what is the quality of what is on the screen now right. leaving aside the preconceptions that i've got is it entertaining is it fun is it funny and did i come out of it feeling like I'd watch something that that I enjoyed that I wasn't picking apart. With Hitchhiker's Guide, there are things that I like less. There are things that I really enjoy. But on the whole, it's a film I really enjoy. And I think coming back to the text and the expectation versus reality Mm. thing, you could almost find yourself with a bit of a conflict there because we spoke prior (laughs) prior to the record about, so for example, the Harry Potter Books, yes. That uh, Prison of Azkaban 
is my favourite Harry Potter film. As it is mine. Because it is so well made. It's the look of it compared to the first two films mm-hmm. was a revelation. And taking a chance on, on the director who had Absolutely. done interesting films, I oh, should say. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, Alfonso <laughs> Cuaron. Sexual it? Awakening film was basically his... You yeah. know, I mean, that's yeah. and then he did Harry Potter basically. Yeah, and, Tambien, and then, like, but then what? When you know the novel, there are a couple of omissions from the novel that would have just, if they'd remained in the film, would have made so much more sense. Yes, I was having this discussion yesterday actually yeah. about about adaptations of the Harry Potter books versus mm-hmm. films and, and and what we miss from the books that should have been in the films, or or how the narrative structure was changed to suit what the director's vision of the film was. Like, yeah. I mean, just simple stuff like you take, for instance, that at the end of the film, Harry gets his firebolt from Sirius. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> that's not at the end of the book. That's halfway through the book. And there's there's reasons for it and emotional reasons. And, and there are some things in narrative sense that just don't quite fit. But it is tough. It's really tough. Yeah. I mean, we could talk hours. Well, I could talk hours about goblet of fire let's not yeah sorry you were saying you were saying about prisoner of azkaban yeah so no well i i I pretty much sort of wrap my point is is that and i agree with the points you've made that it was it's such a good film but then there are just elements of it that as a fan Mm. because i i inhaled the books i you Mm -hmm. know there was they're so easy to read i I make no apologies for the fact that i I i'm a big fan of the books um but they are missing things that actually, oh, that would have been quite nice to include. This becomes a problem. And I think this is where TV as a medium is catching up to to movies is because now TV is almost as big a market as, as movies Absolutely. Are. I mean, look at, look at the budget of some of the big TVs Indeed. out there. It's incredible. Yeah. And with the scope and the room to breathe that TV gives you, it, the risk you have with a movie, and I think there's a really good example with the Divergent series of books because what you have is a series of books now this isn't just cramming one book into a film this mm-hmm. is the it's a i think it was a three or four novel series um and you had the first the first couple of films and then it got to a point that the films weren't making the money that's right and consequently the climax having put all this investment into these first films then all of a sudden, because the box office is not there, you get a sequel that never happens. Yes, and this—I yeah. mean, th- this this happens across the board. And I'm absolutely fascinated with the idea of films that set up a sequel that will never happen. Um, and I'm sure that's probably a discussion for another day. I'm sure day. it is. It's something that I'm really, mm. I'm really kind of fascinated by. But that's therein lies the risk is with films you have you have two hours to capture your audience, make your box office, and sometimes you have to you have to make choices within that those parameters within that, those parameters yeah. to to make a a self contained satisfying film and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and i'm I've kind of come to that point now where I kind of accept it might not be the film I expect if it's something that I'm invested in. Um, on on another hand, uh, just to, just as a little side point, that I went back and watched The Martian for the first time in about four years, 
uh, this past week. Again, introduced my 11-year-old daughter to it. She consequently absolutely loved it because <laughs> she's uh, this beautiful little science nerd. Lovely. And uh, We need more of them in the world. Yes, and so consequently she's a Mark Watney fan. Perfect. But there's a film that, uh, barring a couple of small you know, tweaks to the narrative, tweaks to the flow, which you understand for the sake of the flow of the movie, uh, work really well. Mm. But it's it's a really good example of a film that has taken its source material, understands its source material, and developed it uh, into a really satisfying thing. And I, I, sometimes that's rare to, to kind of get that into, into that two-hour span. Consequently, it doesn't have any any need to world build or prep you for a sequel. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably where you know a lot of the films that we yeah you know, we could talk about where there are famous properties that you know you could end up with a a series that dies after one film. Yes, and I mean that 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 has elements in Hitchhiker's Guide as well. You, you sort of get to the end and you sort of go well. If they had wanted to, and if it had been a bigger success, they could have continued it through the rest of the books if they had really Absolutely. wanted to. Um, yes. I, I mean, it is, it, it's interesting listening to you say that and see it from a different sort of perspective. Yeah. When you think about something that's an adaptation uh, and you have fans of the original yeah. source material, where does uh, creative integrity come into it from a filmmaker's point of view? Yeah. Um, because there are some things in Hitchhiker's Guide which I think are really clever. So, for instance, when they go to uh, the Vogon's home planet, um, which is a departure from the books because you, you find out that the Vogons left their home planet because it was the worst and even they couldn't stand it, so yeah. they left, which is humor in itself. Yeah. Um, that The reason why their noses are squished so far up their face in their design yeah. is because on their home planet, if you ever have an original idea or an idea at all, you get smacked in the face by this um, spade-like creature, yeah. which is a brilliant idea. Yeah. But again, it's not fleshed out in the film no. to mean anything. You yeah. just sort of have to make those connections and go, oh, that's why the design of that is like that. Yeah. Okay, that's clever, but there's no fleshing out of that idea. Yeah. And this is this is where you, you sometimes land in, in an issue with you know novels have that room to breathe and that room to give you that explanation mm -hmm. and, and you can take it at your own pace yeah, when you're reading it you absolutely. can go okay i'll take a bit of a break in a film sometimes you know do you leave it out and then you get the you get the people who are angry that you've left it out do yeah. you put too much in and they're angry that it's too close to the source material because there's been no um creative continuation of what they want it's like it's the watchman tough. film which like was... the watchman film which was near comic perfect yeah by the end but yeah you know. absolutely um but then you're you know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't and this is this is the problem with with fandom to, to a degree is that that you are you're literally damned if you do and you're damned if you i mean don't. i am uh, i am i'm a guilty part of you yeah. because i love harry potter so much yeah. and i could just nitpick the films but i also love the films yeah. harry potter and the philosopher's stone is a film i watch every christmas it's my christmas film yeah. for those of you who wanted to know in a q a maybe later on yeah. um but uh but i could i could nitpick those films to the nth degree yeah. uh and and it is it is a damned if you do damned if you don't situation yeah 
And so I think I think it's really you know it's a conversation that we could probably do another half an hour, very uh, possibly of a, of a podcast on. But I just think in terms of kind of distilling that idea is you you almost have to accept that not everything will make it in, not everything will be as as well fleshed out, but there is often a creative decision in there because they have to think of the flow of the film and they have to think about how how they contain all of the ideas that they want and sometimes this can happen in the edit that they've they've filmed all of that i mean we we are fully aware of of current stuff in the media of people who go the cut of this film was better and we'd like it released yeah absolutely <laughs> um, so yeah yeah and again that's that's another one where that, that we could come to in a in a future podcast is uh cuts that might have been better had the director had the had, had the, the say so yeah. yeah absolutely so so that is a very sort of different way of of talking about in defense of but i thought it was a really good way of doing it's a nice it. conversation so, well, chime off in the comments what do you guys think yeah absolutely um so but just to just to wrap that bit up i'm a fan Chris appreciates the good I, stuff, but there you go. That's absolutely. that's a good way of putting it. I appreciate the good stuff, and I are annoyed at the other stuff. Yeah, but uh, let us know what you think. <laughs> are you a fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film? It's and hope- why? It's- We'd like to know why. I'd like to know why because uh, not in a bad way. No, I'd like to know if you. In fact, I personally, from from the commander point of view, I'd like to know the people who love the source material and also love the film, and I'd like yeah. to know how you managed to merge those two worlds in your mind. Excellent. And so, without further ado, I think it's time for another Pitch Battle! battle. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, enjoy that too much. We do, we really do. Uh, but I think we, we tone in well. Yeah. So, for this edition's Pitch Battle, we have been given by my very good friend, another very good friend of mine, so I think you need to get some. You. I think you need to get some of your friends to to, to interact and to, to send us something next I time. Agree. So we've been given an actor, Nev Campbell, a late nineties, early two thousands throwback for you. Our item is a lilo, and our genre is an animated comedy, such as the likes of Pixar or Toy Story. Or Indeed. All that jazz. With that in mind, we will we will start the five minutes on our clock, and we will uh, we will get back to you in due course it will be instantaneous for you and we are back so christopher yes would you like to go first or second (laughs) i will go first okay um get it over and done with now this was a very tight five minutes we'll see we'll see how this one goes okay um one summer's day a hero unlike any other graced our waters a challenge was set to cross the Pacific Ocean in a lilo. Join Nev Campbell on an adventure like no other, a road trip across the waters in Nice to See You coming this summer. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I was not very creative this week. That took forever. It's my turn now. I'm, I'm going to try and go a little bit more upbeat with the, uh, the voiceover guy. Voice. Yeah, I realized so, it wasn't yeah. very Pixar-y, was yeah. it? On a family vacation to an idyllic tropical island, Lily the Lilo is snagged on the rocks and swept out to sea. Now with the help of a motley crew of fishy friends, she must make it back to shore before she deflates completely and her family leaves without her. Coming this summer 
Nev Campbell is Lily in Lilo Needs Stitches. <laughs> okay, you win. I regret you win that one. I you win that one. With the That's brilliant. You win that one. Thank Absolutely. You. Hands down. The funny thing was, I halfway through that, I was like, oh, I've got a better idea. And that was almost the idea. And I had written together with her fishy friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you win this time, Scott. <laughs> so, with that absolute ding-dong battle <laughs> put to bed uh, it's time to wrap up with our tracks of the trade tracks of the trade would you like to go first today yes i will go first today and i have gone for another one of my my favorite tracks i was aware that last time we went for two very sort of emotive kind of atmospheric mm. tracks so this time i've gone kind of to the other end of the spectrum and i've gone for something that is full-on rousing and blood-pumping and uh, goosebump-inducing. Oh, lovely. So for my track, I'm going back to 2010, uh, to the DreamWorks animation, How to Train Your Dragon, and the quite unexpectedly Oscar-nominated score by John Powell. You enjoy saying that, don't you? I do, I do. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the How to Train Your Dragon films, and I think a large part of that is down to the score. And there were two tracks that I wanted to pick and I was umming and ahhing over both of them. But I've gone I've gone for the one that was kind of my instinct and, and it's it's my favourite one. Uh, and so I'm going for the track Test Drive, which is used in the moment where Hiccup and Toothless have their first proper flight out together and it's this huge, rousing, goosebump-inducing moment. I make no apologies for the fact that it is so good in terms of getting you motivated and getting you pumped, that it is on my running playlist. Brilliant. I love that. Yeah. And the whole score is beautiful and uh, fun and exhilarating. So, yeah, uh, I can't recommend it enough. And Test Drive is going on this week's Tracks of the Trade. Christopher, what is your track? The track that I have picked... And we didn't talk about this before we started the podcast, after we started talking about Harry Potter uh, and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Mine is indeed from the Prisoner of Azkaban soundtrack. Composed and conducted by John Williams, it is the track Hagrid the Professor. And it is definitely a departure from uh, the tracks we had. It is also one of those tracks that you listen to and you immediately know where you are in the film. As soon as you hear that first couple notes, uh, you're transported back just outside the great hall it's a lovely lovely track and i and i listen to it all the time i love pretty much all of the soundtracks of of the harry potter films um i'm sure somewhere down the line on our on our list there will be more harry potter from me there's something about that track that shows a lot of the character of that film and a reason why is my favorite of all of the films and then it it sort of transitions uh, about halfway through into uh the melody of the choir that you hear at the beginning of the film their version of a speech from Macbeth double double toil and trouble so that is my that is my pick uh, for this week Hagrid the Professor uh, and you can find it on our Spotify playlist which I have added now brilliant and I'm sure given that he is he is the Don that John Williams will probably make you will a few definitely more. pop up again absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, so that draws us to the end of the Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast. 
2. 2, the sequel. So uh, thank you very, very much for listening. And for those of you that downloaded the first podcast and listened and gave feedback, we can't thank you enough. We can't Uh, thank you enough. We really can't. And it's the, the positive feedback that you've given us. Uh, that's that's meaning we're going to carry on yes. again just keep keep talking to us let us know what you think keep uh, the di- we'll keep the dialogue open uh, we are open uh, to changing things and trying new things so let us know what works for you what doesn't work for you and also chime off in the comments for our pitch battle so so give Indeed. us some suggestions yeah so if you're looking to chime off for the pitch battle we need an actor an item and a genre mm. and we will pick out yours and we'll name check you and we'll get it into hopefully the next monkey see monkey review podcast thank you so much again thank you lovelies it really does mean a hell of a lot to us uh and we're we're really excited to be here and, and you know be welcomed back for a second time and we will see you next time we will hear you we will be in your ear holes the next time you see us indeed